peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to what has been called a scandalous story and a scandalous parable, Father, it was your Son who told it, but more importantly, it was your Son who lived out the scandal of the cross. Father, we ask for a miracle here this morning, the miracle being that the Holy Spirit would fall upon us, granting us ears and eyes, the inner ears and the inner eyes to see you, to see you as our Father in all the love and grace that meets us in the horror of our sin at Calvary's cross, where you redeem us and make us your eternal children. Father, have mercy on me now, please. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and let your word come clearly. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus' journey to the cross, Lent week 4, and you'll see up on the screen there, the parable of the lost sons. There's two sons in the story. Both of them are lost. One of them gets found. One of them remains lost. And we're going to see what that means. But what you believe will determine your behaviour. The thing about these two sons is they had a belief system. And we're going to explore a little bit of their belief system. But everyone in this room has a belief system. You believe in something and that actually, what you believe in, actually determines what you seek to do with your life. So as we've been seeing in Luke's Gospel, as Jesus journeys to the cross, it's not man's sinfulness that actually prevents him from coming to salvation. It's actually man's innate belief that he's actually good. It's man's innate belief that he's actually not that bad a person. And see, by not being that bad a person, man believes that God will accept him. And what Jesus is doing is he's turning everything upside down. And so Jesus knows that as he goes to the cross, He is going to, on that cross, have the Father meet all his sinful prodigal children there and embrace them in a love and in a forgiveness. But he also knows this. There's another side to the story. And that's the side of people who are going to reject the Gospel. And let's have a look at what that means for us. So Jesus has two audiences. And as he tells this story... He tells it because he himself is having sinners draw near to him. So, in Luke 15, 1-2, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, some of you have got probably no idea who's a Pharisee and what's a scribe. Well, they are the people who would be caretakers of what is called the Old Testament church and what they did was they made sure that when you came into the church today, you were holy. And what they did is they looked at you. And so as you walked through the door, these caretakers would look at you, they'd look at how you dressed, a button was out of place, you were unholy. If your shoelaces were undone, you couldn't be right with God. If your hair was a certain way, They stood there and they examined everybody according to their tradition. 
and they sought to preserve that tradition. So if your hair was out of place or you didn't wash your hands properly, they were on to you. That's what they did. And now there were sinners who were coming to Jesus. Now these sinners were really bad people. They were the bank robbers. That's what a tax collector was. He was a bank robber, basically, anyhow. And there were other people coming and they were drawing near to Jesus. And as they drew near to Jesus, the other people got angry. Why did they get angry? Shouldn't they have gone, oh, it's a good thing that these people are coming to Jesus for forgiveness. Why do you reckon they got angry? Well, we're going to see as the story goes on. So Jesus begins to tell the story of two sons. Now the younger son believes, listen very carefully, the younger son believes that he's going to have the highest amount of joy, the highest amount of pleasure by going away from his father and having a great time in sin. That's what he believes. He believes that if he rules his life, he's actually going to be very, very happy. Does anybody ever, does anybody ever here struggle with that? Do you believe? Yeah, do you actually believe that you know what is best for you? If you think you know what is best for you, then you need to actually say, God, help me. Because you don't actually know what's best for you. So how willing is this young man to actually find happiness and pleasure? Well, can you imagine having a million dollar inheritance? Just imagine your dad's got a million dollars for you. And what you do is you go to your dad and you say, well, dad, rather than you dying and, getting, and giving me that money... How about you drop dead now and you give me that money and I'll go off and I'm going to go and find happiness. That's what he did. He actually is saying to his dad, Dad, I want my inheritance now, drop dead. Now, what father would do that? What father would give the money away? Well, this father does. He actually gives him his inheritance And he actually knows the pain and the searing loss that's going to come from his son going away. At the age of 18, I was in a church. I'd made a commitment to Jesus. The reason I made a commitment to Jesus was this. I wanted to fulfil a tennis career. And I really believed that if I committed myself to Jesus and I committed myself to the church, God would further and bless my tennis career. After about six months, there was no improvement in my tennis career. God wasn't doing it. But in the church, I was struggling with all kinds of sins. All kinds of sins. And I went to the elders and I said to the elders, I am this really, really bad sinner and I don't know how you can actually be so godly and so holy. Now, I can't remember what they said to me, but all I remember is this is I went to other people in the church and I told them how sinful I felt and I felt deeply excluded because I thought the Christian life was actually about being good and I thought the Christian life was actually about me. So I gave up and I thought, well, if I can't do it, I might as well go out and I might as well party and I might as well sin. And so I did. 
I left the church and I went and I explored sin in a very bad way. So bad was it that I ended up with a thousand dollar a week drug habit. In doing so, I ended up in a psychiatric ward. My brain over the years of taking drugs had actually stopped functioning properly. At that point, God came to me. And when he came to me, he came to me in such a loving and such a gracious way that it sent me even more bonkers. Because I couldn't believe that God was coming to me. And so I rung up these people that I used to go to church with and I phoned them up and I said, can you please tell me what is happening to me because God loves me and I don't understand why because I'm a wretched sinner. And one person on the phone said to me, well, when you were a little boy, you were good. That made things even worse. Because now I was thinking, what did I do when I was good? When I was young, what did I do? And so I actually had a great problem. The father had come to me and I was sitting in filthy robes. I was dirty. I'd spent all my money, literally. I'd left a great job. I'd ruined relationships. I'd ruined everything I'd ruined my family relationship. There was nothing. I was in the gutter. And God came to me just as he came to this young son and he embraced me and he kissed me and he put a robe around me and he said, you're my son and you know what? I forgive you Not because you've been good. I forgive you because of Jesus Christ. And at that point, I understood what the Gospel was. I understood that the Gospel was actually about a person called Jesus Christ who took responsibility for my sin. So that on the cross, He took ownership of everything I did and therefore the Father was coming to me in such love and such grace and such mercy. Now, What has happened to my belief system? Now that God has come to me in love and he's come to me in grace, do I want to leave him? Do I want to go and sin? No. Because what's happened is I've come to know God as Father and that's what what happened to this younger son. He came to know that God was his Father and he sat up and he ate with his dad and there was dancing and there was singing And I can tell you, he would not have wanted to leave that table. He would have wanted to stay right near his father. Because when he ruled his life, he ruined it. And when God brought him home, he would have known that to rule his life was what? To ruin it. And see, brothers and sisters, that's what happens. When God comes to us, we we actually have a change of behaviour because we actually start to trust. We actually start to trust God as our Father. Now, the other thing about the younger son was this. His sin was out there. It was open for all to see. And what's most astonishing about this story is that when the son comes home, 
the father doesn't say anything to him about what he's done wrong. He doesn't even bring up that he's lost the inheritance. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't point out his sin. Why? Because he's forgiven it. Because in Jesus Christ, God has taken away our sins as far as the east is from the west and he's forgiven it and God no longer remembers our sin. And so he embraces his son and there's no conversation. He doesn't say, now son, what did you do with the million dollars? Or tell me about your reckless living. How are you going to pay that back? Nothing. Sits down with him, gets the biggest, fattest calf in the, in the field and says, we're going to throw a cracker of a party for my son because I have him home. So he gets that big fat calf and he kills it and then he puts on the radio and there's gospel music and there's singing and there's dancing and there's a great big party because he has his son home. Not because his son's done anything, he just has his son home. The father just wants you. He just wants you. He doesn't want you to bring anything. He just wants a relationship with you. And when he has that relationship with his son, he's bursting with such joy that the music goes through the house, out into the outer field, and the older brother hears it. And boy, don't we have trouble then. Because the older brother, well, he's a goody two-shoes. He's been in church for a very, very long time, or what we would call a synagogue, and he hears this music, and he can't understand what's going on. So what does he do? The older brother was in the field and he drew near the house. Notice he drew near the house. He doesn't draw near to the father, he draws near to the house. And he heard music and dancing, He doesn't call out to his father. He calls out to one of his servants. And he asks, what do these things mean? What's this blaring radio music of love and joy going on in the home? Well, you know your dirty, rascal, sinful ratbag of a brother who took part of the inheritance and actually took some of yours really because the fattened calf now belongs to him. He has come home and the father has actually killed a calf for him and has received him back safe and sound. The older brother says, What? What a terrible father. What kind of a father would do that? And so he becomes angry. The father goes out and pleads with him. Why is the older brother angry? Why is he not happy? Why is he not joyful that the other son has come home? Well, the older brother actually believes this. The older brother believes that he has a right to all the father's inheritance because he's been good. And so he believes he's entitled to it because he has been a good man or a good boy and his father owes it to him. So now I'm going to speak to some of you in the church. Have you ever heard this? 
I have been in the church for 20 years. I've been in the church for 15 years. I've been working hard for this church. Therefore, I'm entitled to how it runs. I deserve a say. I know what I'm entitled to because I've been working very hard for this church. What's wrong with that? Well, it means this. You've been doing something for a wrong reason. And so I've got, I know somebody who generously actually gives money away and actually gives lots of things away, but if you receive money from that person, they then owe you. You're then owned by them. And this is what this younger son was doing. He was saying, I've worked for you, now you're actually indebted to me. And Jesus is saying this parable because there are people who are actually saying this in Jesus' day. Now, the father goes out and pleads with him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have been slaving for you and I have not disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. Two things I want you to notice. One, he's never broken a command. He's actually a liar. Everyone has broken God's law. He is saying that he's never broken God's law. Two, he's angry. Anger is linked with hate and anger is linked with murder. Three, he refuses to go in and dine with the father. So to say he's never broken a command is actually to be so deceived in his goodness. How can you be so deceived in your goodness? How can it be? How can you think that you are so, so good that you do not need Jesus Christ? That you do not need the forgiveness of sins because you are so morally upright? He actually doesn't come in because he's good. And not only that, he turns and is an accuser of his brother, which is to be with Satan. See, did the father accuse his son when he came home? No, he didn't even bring up his sin. Now, the older brother says what? This son of yours. He stands with the law in his hand with the devil by his side and he begins to accuse the younger brother. Self-righteousness, the imagined obedience to God's law and Satan go hand in glove. Worse than this, he rejects his father and he rejects his brother because he's too holy. He disowns his father. He disowns his son because of how good he is. What is it to reject God in the end? What is it to reject Jesus Christ in the end? What is it to finally be separated from God? Do you know what it is? It's to say this. Well, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. 
Thank you very much, God, for loving me. Thank you very much for doing that work for me. But I'm actually one of those people that's okay. See, I'm one of those good people. I'm, I'm actually not like the gangsters. I'm, I'm actually not like the murderers and the bank robbers. See, I'm actually okay. Thank you, Jesus, but I'm all right. And at that point, you never actually sit up at the table where there's a chair for you. And brothers and sisters, there's a chair for you at the Father's table. And all you have to do is sit at that table and eat and drink the love, the free acceptance of God in Jesus Christ. And so in the end, the father goes out to the older son and he says, Son, everything I have is yours. God the Father, in giving us Jesus Christ, says to us today, everything I have, all that I have, I give to you in my Son, Jesus Christ. I give it to you.